This episode of Three Things is very different. It is dedicated to one topic, the incredibly brave and resolute people of Ukraine. My guest is Chris O'Shea, a close friend, a permanent resident of Ukraine, and an international businessman. Chris's wife, Liana, and her mother are among the tens of thousands of ordinary citizens currently shielding in underground shelters across the region. In Kiev city itself, thousands spend their nights in the Kiev underground. In heart-rending scenes reminiscent of London during the Blitz, sadly, by all accounts, it appears that the civilian population centers are being willfully targeted by Russia's military forces as part of a terror campaign designed to crush the will of the population. In my conversation with Chris, we try to understand what is happening on the ground today, what may happen in the days and weeks ahead. As Chris shares, the situation is dire. Chris shares personal insights about his family, about what he understands is happening in Ukraine, and the bigger picture of Russia sanctions and numerous other points. It's a heart-rending story. I'd like to really thank Chris for being part of this three things and just wishing everyone all the best. Please listen to this episode to get an informed but tragic, insightful perspective on the situation in Ukraine. So, Chris, for all the wrong reasons, welcome. Thank you, Charles. It's good to be with you. Great to hear your voice. Chris, let's just start at the beginning. How are you involved in Ukraine? And, and tell us about your family situation, please. Well, very briefly, Charles, as you will recall, you and I served in Korea for several years contemporaneously. And during my tenure between 2006 and 2013, I met my wife in 2007. After a lengthy 10-year courtship, we were married in April of 2019 in Ukraine. In the process, I acquired two lovely stepsons, one oh, of whom great. is 25 and works in Poland. And my younger stepson is an 18-year-old third-year student in St. Petersburg. So Chris, if it's all right, tell us the situation for your wife right now. What's happening on the ground? Well, we live on the east side of the river in Kiev Oblast. We're just outside the city proper. And we live about three kilometers from the major international airport in Kiev City. Our situation is dire. I happen to be stranded in the U.S. at the moment. I'm unable to get back to Ukraine. In the meantime, my family is isolated. My mother-in-law and my wife are trapped. Where are they sheltering, Chris? What does daily life for your wife and the people of Ukraine look like today? My mother-in-law and my wife are sheltering in the basement of their apartment building in Borispol. Food, water is in short supply. For the last two days, my family's been surviving on literally on eggs and water. I got some good news last night when I spoke with my wife because she, in fact, found at the local market enough foodstuffs for the next couple of days. But as you can imagine, with Russian forces moving swiftly to encircle the entire metropolitan area, they're going to be even further isolated and, frankly, in mortal danger. I spoke with my wife last night, and frankly, we said goodbye. Wow. And it's a very difficult time for everybody. So, Our story is one of tens of thousands of stories just like this. But what we're seeing and, and certainly what we're reading is the, the strength of the citizens of Ukraine seems to be, along with the leadership of your president, 
Tell us a little bit about the resilience, because that's an extraordinary story that Putin clearly is dealing with a very different scenario to the one that he probably expected. Well, that's correct. But let me hasten to say that I've been living in Ukraine in Kyiv City for over three years now, but I live in the blue collar part of town. I'm fairly gregarious. I've studied Russian the whole time I'm there. I've become almost a feature of the local landscape. And I've gotten to know a lot of the locals. And I am not at all surprised by the resolve, the resilience, and the determination of the average Ukrainian in the street. These are fiercely Mm. proud, fiercely independent people. And frankly, I'm convinced that whatever the future holds, things are going to get worse before they get better. But I absolutely believe that at the end of the day, whenever that comes, Ukraine will prevail and Russia will fail. Let's look at that. And the key sort of actor or player, hero of the hour, is President Zelensky. Tell me what you know about him. What did you know about him before this? And and I think we all know, you know, some of his history from the media, but what might our listeners not know about this guy? And, and what do you know about him? That's a very, very good question, Charles. I became acquainted with President Zelensky during his campaign for the presidency in 2019. I was present during the election, and I must say that he's a remarkable man. First of all, what don't people know about Zelensky? He's a lawyer by training. Everyone leads their stories with he's a former comedian and actor. Yes, He was a lawyer before he was a comedian and actor. The role he played on television really prepared him for stepping up to the next level. And he is, in my view, the man of the hour. He's channeling Churchill during the Blitz, whether that's conscious or not. He is a true servant of the people, and his is an authentic profile and courage. You mentioned when we were talking before we started, Chris, that there is a playbook at work here, a Russian playbook. I was very interested in that because, again, I hadn't seen much reporting around that. Can you help us understand what is the quote-unquote Russian playbook that you mentioned? I made that remark in the context of a question that you, in fact, put to me about what is actually happening on the ground. And as I stated previously, the situation's fluid. Several of the larger population centers have been effectively under siege since the beginning of the Russian offensive on the 24th of February. Kiev City, our capital, is the main target. But other major population centers like Kharkiv, like Mariupol, like Lvov in the West, these are all major population centers. And my worst fear was that Mr. Putin would resort to what I term his Grozny playbook. Those of your listeners who are old enough to remember will recall that in the early 90s, President Putin launched a war in Chechnya to bring the Chechens to heel. And the Grozny playbook to which I referred is a reference to the fact that the capital of Chechnya was reduced to absolute rubble. And what I've observed first yesterday in Kharkiv and today, unfortunately, in Kyiv City, Russian artillery is systematically being brought to bear on civilian populations and their projectile of choice are 
anti-personnel cluster munitions. And I have personally observed, I saw a live video today of an attack on the main television broadcast facility in downtown Kyiv being destroyed by such a munition, the pertinence of which is that the goal of the Russian offensive is to demoralize the civilian population and to just thoroughly destroy the place. This particular video that I observed actually took place in a park, which at its heart is the center of Baba Yar, the genocide site from World War II. And it's symbolic to me of the evil that's afoot and connected with the present Russian invasion. Chris, this is just, uh, it's extraordinary. And I, I want to say again, thank you. What are the things that international citizens may not appreciate about what's happening in Ukraine? Aside from what we read in the news, just daily life, you know, what, what's happening that we don't know? The first level of reply that I'd offer is that people are incredibly upbeat, resolute, determined, right. and brave. It's an eerie experience speaking with my family members, with my neighbors. It's an eerie determination. I'm convinced that the Ukrainians will not go quietly and come hell or high water, even to the last man. I'm convinced that people should know that these folks share Western European values and the country itself is a nascent Western style liberal democracy. I see it in action every day. A case in point, when I mentioned a few minutes ago that I happened to be in the country when Mr. Zelensky was elected and when he later took office. My recollection is that more than 80% of the country's eligible voters turned out at the polls for that presidential election. 73%, 73% of the 82% that voted, voted for this man, okay? Wow. And the level of enthusiasm for democracy, it's something to behold. It reminds me when I was a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago and my family was active in democratic machine politics, I see the same thing. These are salt of the earth people. They have a dream and they're not going to let the dream go, which is why they have been petitioning the EU and NATO for the past 12 or 15 years for membership. And the hour's late, but it's not too late. Well, I think there's a lot of discussion now about EU membership as well. We'll see where that goes. Chris, my next question is quite unfair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Where are we six days, six weeks, six months from now? What does the short, the mid and the long term look like, do you think, for Ukraine? In other words, what are the likely outcomes? Correct. Of the present conflict? Correct. Well, it's too early to predict, at least with any degree of certainty how this tragedy is ultimately going to play out in the coming weeks and months. Ultimately, as I mentioned before, I'm confident that Ukraine will prevail and Russia will fail. My biggest concern is that in Putin's mind, all's fair in love and war. And I think this is going to go on for a long time. Unfortunately, I think the worst is yet to come. The previews have been pretty chilling. 
and maybe another four to six weeks of hard fighting, at which point I think there will probably be a stalemate and the international parties will compel everybody to come to the table. The big unknown in this equation is how effective will be the rather dramatic financial sanctions that have been placed on the Russian central bank and the oligarchy that supports Mr. Putin and Mr. Putin himself. Mm. What's Um, your opinion on that? Do you think those sanctions are effective, will be effective? Are they changing this scenario, do you think? In all candor, I'm not a big fan of sanctions, and I never have been, because they've been half measures heretofore. However, this time around is different, and it's not just about the U.S. and one or two allies invoking or invading these sanctions. It's Mm. literally the whole of the Western world. I have friends in Russia with whom I speak regularly twice today. These are ordinary good people, but they're hurting. Since the war broke out last weekend, Charles, more than 52 cities across Russia have been visited upon by tens of thousands of anti-war protesters. This is unprecedented. And so to come full circle and try to do a better job of answering your question, there are a lot of unknowns, but we're also in uncharted territory. Mm. I'm guardedly optimistic that hitting Putin's people in the pocketbook may actually have a material effect this time around. But in the meantime, The fight on the ground, as you and your listeners are probably aware, at this hour, at this very hour, the Russian armed forces are moving to encircle Kiev Oblast and lay siege to the city. And the rocket barrage last night was just a calling card. Mm. And so I think we'll see house-to-house fighting. I think we'll see one of the most beautiful cities in all of Europe leveled for the sake of one man's lust. The links between the Ukrainian people and the Russian people, they're very close, correct? That is an understatement of the first order, Charles. Right, okay. Um, Enlighten me. No, no, no. No, <laughs> I mean, my, my own family actually hails from the Donbass, from Luhansk, and they only migrated west after the death of my father-in-law. So they're relative newcomers to the Western part of Ukraine, but we have relatives. We, I say me and my extended family, we've got relatives in Russia. This isn't about the Russian people or the Ukrainian people. This is about Vladimir Putin's warped reality. It's nothing personal, but the guy is not right. And he's behaving in ways that we cannot let it stand. That's the bottom line. Mm. None of my Ukrainian friends bear any malice toward the Russian people because they are related. They are interrelated. I've actually personally had three different friends from the Far East through Novosibirsk and Moscow call me to apologize and ask about the safety of my family. So this is not a war between two peoples. This Mm -hmm. is a war of aggression being waged by one individual autocrat against what he regards as a threatening, nascent, Western-style democracy. It seems that the world is united against Putin, 
and even now to the extent that airspace is now being restricted. Do you think this is something that will be effective in the long run? Yes, I do. I do. And I applaud. President Biden came out a few hours ago and announced during his State of the Union address in Washington before both houses of Congress, he Mm -hmm. announced, among other things, the latest round of sanctions. And at the top of his list was banning flights with even the remotest connection to the Russian Federation. So U.S. airspace, Canadian airspace are banned as well as Western Europe. So yes, Charles, again, it's a good question. It's also a big unknown, Mm -hmm. but my sense is that these are all important steps in the right direction toward reining in Mr. Putin and his cronies. I just want to make one other quick point, which is a bit of a non sequitur, and that is to say that one of the things I've observed and hasn't gotten a lot of coverage is the fact that there have been instances in the last two days outside of Kharkiv most recently where a whole Russian tank company ran out of fuel because they outran their supply lines and all the personnel put their weapons down and surrendered en masse to the Ukrainian militia. Not all is well in Putinville, Mm, is mm, my sense. mm. And so there's a bunch of unknowns. We're in uncharted territory, Charles, but hope springs eternal. My heart and my soul rests with the Ukrainian people, my brothers and sisters. Chris, you're sitting one-to-one with Putin, and then you're sitting one-to-one with President Zelensky. If you could have a five-minute audience with both, what would you tell them? I'd urge Mr. Putin to think about the Russian people and their well-being and to do the right thing by giving up the ghost and preparing a long list of reparations and set up a payment schedule. Mr. Zelensky, I don't know him personally. I'm acquainted because my family's involved in politics. He's a humble guy. He's very smart. He's somebody who can speak his truth in a way that is both humble and highly effective. And so I would just say, viva, viva, long live (laughs) President Zelensky. He's the man of the hour. And again, to use an analogy I cited at the outset, I listen to him speak and I see him act. Whether he knows it or not, he's channeling the best Mm. of Winston Churchill during the Blitz. And for that reason, he has the unrestricted support and loyalty, even of all the factions that he might have been doing battle with internally six months ago, six weeks ago. Mm. The reality is that everybody's fallen into lockstep. And this gives me great heart and great hope for the future. But at the same time, to come full circle And to be very honest with you, my immediate family is in mortal danger at this hour. And I tried again this week to get my family out of town and I couldn't do it. And so my wife and I said goodbye today and I promised to take care of the boys if we never see each other again. Chris, I don't know what to say. Let me ask a a question sort of obviously linked to that last chest awfully sad comment people listening to this there's just a feeling of helplessness and is there anything people can do there is a bit of fatigue about just sending cash to an anonymous 
big bucket that you don't know where it goes. Do you know any places that people listening to this can send some money that you know it will go to good use? Absolutely. And I would be more than happy following our discussion today. Okay. I'll forward two or three trusted links. Um, There's two things that we need. We need financial assistance on the defense side, and we need humanitarian assistance on the other because there is a looming, I mean, my wife and my family are literally living on water and eggs right now, and they can't get more food. Once the city's encircled, things are not going to get better. They're going to get a lot worse before they get better. So I would urge in all humility, I would urge your listeners to not pay attention to too much of the disinformation that's floating around on the internet. I God is my witness. I can send you trusted links that your listeners can depend upon and they can do their own independent diligence if need be, but do what you can and do what you will, but be with us. Chris, after this conversation, that's not even a question. For those listening, I'm going to put Chris's links in the show notes. So please, if anyone wishes, give generously. Chris, I can just send you our heartfelt best wishes, our love to your family. Thank you so much for what has been extremely emotional, but extraordinarily eye-opening conversation, my friend, and just the very best to to you and your family. And just stay in touch and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And I hopefully the next time we talk, I'll be back in Kiev working on a rebuild. I and you call on me and everyone else and we'll be there to help you. I promise. Thank you so much, Charles. Godspeed. I'm lost for words after that conversation with Chris. We have added some links in the notes if people want to contribute. And I think all that needs to be said is thoughts and prayers for all the people in Ukraine. Thank you.